0: A reading from the book of the prophet Malachi. A great king am I, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you do not listen, if you do not lay it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a a curse upon you, and of your blessing I will make a curse. You have turned aside from the way and have caused many to falter by your instruction. You have made void the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. I therefore have made you contemptible and base before all the people, since you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your decisions. Have we not all one Father? Has not the one God created us? Why then do we break faith with one another, violating the covenant of our fathers? The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
2: In you, O Lord, I have found my peace. In you, O Lord, I have found my peace.
0: O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor are my eyes haughty. I busy not myself with great things nor were things too sublime for me.
2: In you, O Lord, I have found
0: my peace. Nay, rather, I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child. Like a weaned child on its mother's lap, so is my soul within me. In you,
2: O Lord, I have found my
0: peace. O Israel, hope in the Lord both now and forever.
2: In you,
0: reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, we were gentle among you as a nourishing mother cares for her children. With such affection for you, we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves as well, so dearly beloved had you become to us you recall brothers and sisters our toil and drudgery working night and day in order not to burden any of you we proclaim to you the gospel of god and for this reason we too give thanks to god unceasingly that in receiving the word of god from hearing us you receive not a human word but as it truly is the word of God which is now at work in you who believe. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
2: but one father in heaven and one master on earth the christ
1: Be with you. With A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Praise Jesus spoke to the crowd and to his disciples saying, scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to carry, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their philanthropies and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation rabbi. As for you, do not be called rabbi. You have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father, but you have one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have but one master, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus you all get more and more reluctant to sit down every time. I don't know what it is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I assume that most if not all of you at some point have heard the little ditty what goes around comes around well it certainly has come around uh, this afternoon not for you but for we who stand up here because Jesus has some rather direct uh, uncomfortable and even painful words to say, for we who stand here at the pulpit and those who assist, and I'm talking about the clergy, talking about the deacon, if you notice he's not here, he must have known what I was getting ready to say. No, he's in California, his uh, son is getting married, which we pray is valid, but nonetheless. Um, And what comes around is rather harsh but direct and necessary. Observe all the things they tell you. Don't follow their example. They lay heavy burdens, but they don't pick them up. They perform deeds only to be seen for their own glory, their own power, their own appearance of holiness. They love places of honor they widened their phylacteries, the long sashes, in which the Pharisees would take a passage from Scripture that they had memorized or that they had been practicing, and they would clip it on to their long sashes. And the longer the sash and the more attachments they had, the holier they were and the closer to God it was supposed to be. And so they paraded in the marketplace to win the adulation of people. Jesus says, do what they do, do what they say, never what they do. Well, I want to uh, ask you a question. And it may seem a rather foolish question, because the answer to you will probably seem obvious, which means it's obviously wrong. Uh, What is? The major sin of the clergy. Oh, the hands would fly up. Oh, it has something to do with sex. It's the sex stuff. That's what it is. Got to be. Got to be. It's the sex thing. That's it. Well, as the great newspaper man of the early 20th century, H.L. Mencken, once said for every complex problem, there's a simple answer, and it's simply wrong. And so, no, that's not the answer. The number, one, the number one sin affecting the clergy that Jesus time and again talks against is the sin of ambition. The sin of ambition. And let that be ever on your mind. It's the sin of ambition. The word ambition is an interesting word. It comes from the Greek. And it came into existence during the time when Greece was a republic, and a democratic republic, and those who wanted to be in office would walk around soliciting votes, shaking hands out in the places. And so ambition comes from ambience or ambulatory. It means to walk around, to move around and solicit. And that's what they did. Promise them anything, give them nothing, but let them give you a vote. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Okay. Well, that's the meaning of ambition, a kind of glad-handing in order to get something. And it's always the next thing. So deadly and dangerous is ambition within the clergy, the lust for power, prestige and position, that if you read the New Testament, there are four, four accounts of the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. Now, you might ask yourself, well, what happened to John? Why, isn't, why doesn't he have one? John doesn't have an institution account of the Eucharist at the Last Supper read chapter 13 what he inserts is the washing of the feet now why would he insert the washing of the feet instead of the institution of the Eucharist well for a very practical reason first because you already have three John is the last gospel written probably toward the end of the first century, maybe even a little bit later. So you already have it there, so it'd be redundant. But he has a theological and spiritual reason. And I think it's connected to what takes place in the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 22. They're sitting there at the Last Supper, and Luke tells us a dispute broke out among them. They're sitting there at the table for the Last Supper, and an argument breaks out over who is going to be the greatest because you see deep down inside they know that Jesus it's not going to end well for him he's going to be put to death because this is what they have been trying to get Jesus to avoid for three years don't go to Jerusalem because they're waiting for you and they're going to kill you and just think of what they're going to do to us your followers so they know They know that Jesus is going to be done in, and there'll be a vacancy at the top. And they begin to argue as to who is going to, who's now going to take over the firm. Peter, no doubt, waved his keys and said, well, look, I got the keys. Judas might've even said, look, I got the purse. I'm the money man. You know, I deserve consideration. Maybe even little John said, well, I'm the beloved one. Jesus likes me best, so why wouldn't I get it? And then Jesus goes into this thing about the one who serves is greater uh, than the one who was served, so on. John gives you a parable in action. While they're sitting at table, John tells us, Jesus arises. John doesn't say why. I think that's the reason why, if you read Luke. And what does he do? He assumes the role of the lowest servant in the house. The lowest, that was the lowest thing you could do is was to wash the guests' feet. You had to dry them and clean them and do all those kind of things. And you can see Peter's shocked by it because he says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet, not me. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you can have nothing to do with me. And Peter says, well, not only my feet, but my hands and my head and all over. And Jesus says, it's enough for your feet. It's enough for your feet. Jesus gave them the example, the twelve of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And, especially, as one called to preside over the Eucharist. It is to be able to wash feet. I used to always ask seminarians, especially at the, in the Theologate, why you wanna be a priest? And I'd often get the answer, well, because I like to help people Oh Lord why don't you become a social worker I might do more work helping people I don't know I'd say do you like to wash feet because if you don't like washing feet don't become a priest don't become a priest because that's the criteria humble service You may remember several decades ago, back in the 80s, there appeared on television a rather controversial miniseries that was run during Holy Week. It was called The Thornbirds, with Richard Chamberlain, Barbara Stanwyck, Rachel Ward. And it had to do with a priest named Father Ralph de Bricasar. And he was stuck out there in the outback of Australia because he had run into a kind of unnamed murky problem where he was on the mainland. So he was kind of exiled out there. But he was a tremendously ambitious priest. And he falls for Rachel Ward. And Barbara Stanwyck, is fascinated with him too, but he wants nothing to do with her, once he's seen Rachel. And he and Rachel Ward, they have a child, a son. And the son doesn't know it. And the son admires Richard Chamberlain, our father DeBricasar, who by this time has risen to be a cardinal in the church. And the son becomes a priest son becomes a priest and one day before the priest is sent to his first assignment he and his he believes his uncle they meet by the ocean and he tells his uncle Cardinal de Bricassar just how much he admires him and how much he would be like him and de Bricassar knows how far that is from the truth. And he says to him, it is you who are much closer to Jesus than I. And the young priest doesn't understand, doesn't get it. And he was. And at the end of the movie, Cardinal de Bricassar is, is well into his 80s, perhaps 90s. He's sitting on the bench hunched over with a cane, alone on this bench. And up over the little rays comes Rachel Ward. And she comes and stands before him. And she just looks at him, and he slumps over. Oh and there was a tremendous outcry against this being shown during holy week. It was a magnificent magnificent time to show it. Because throughout there is this cardinal in the Vatican who tells the Ricassar beware of ambition. I have never seen anyone as ambitious as you. You always say the right word, you do the right thing, but there's always a deeper motive. Yes, to advance himself. You see, the great sin of ambition is that ambitious people really cannot love because they only know how to use people in order to get the next position or promotion or thing that they want. They know how to use not give they know how to take but never love or give love because the most important thing is how do you have some utility it's our proverbial climber and once you are of no value to their ends you're discarded ambition ambition is a chief chief sin and temptation that Jesus warns his disciples about. And he does so in a dramatic example at the Last Supper. Beware ambition. That's why for the church fathers and the saints, the fundamental foundation of holiness, not only up here in the altar, but in the pew, is that of humility. Without humility, there is no virtue. There is no virtue without humility. Humility is not self-hatred, self-loathing, self-depreciation, that's sick. Humility goes back to the word human. It's the recognition of our frailty and our limitations. And at the same time, The almighty love and presence of God, who makes up for us, who became this fragile, limited, flawed, sinful self, took it to the cross, not because we deserve it, but because we need it, and in that we are redeemed. Does that leave you off the hook? so you can sit there rather smugly. No, because you're not free from ambition in your own spheres of life, but more importantly, how often do you pray for a humble, a humble church? How often do you pray for vocations and for priests who serve you like your pastor? How often do we pray that God grant them a spirit of humility, of Christ-like service, the great ability to wash feet on a daily basis? It doesn't we're all included in this because we're all church? I close with this. <clears throat> The last uh, three popes, St. Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, and Pope Francis. Pope John Paul was incredibly shocked beyond words that he was elected because it had been many, many centuries, even a millennia and more, since there was a Slavic pope. Pope Benedict prayed fervently that night that they would never, never elect him. And Pope Francis prayed and thought that they would never make him the first American pope. South America and all three of them when they were brought out on the balcony they all began by saying pray for me pray for me I need your prayers we are a praying church and priests and those who serve need your prayers. We're used to asking the priests, pray for us. Let us return to grace by praying for our priests, our deacons, and those who serve, that each day they truly wash your feet in Christ-like fashion. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.